0: From the dead. Death and grave must soon release us. Jesus, thou art now our dead. We are truly thine own members. Where thou livest, there live we. Take and own us constantly, faithful friend, as thy dear brethren. Jesus, here I live to be, also there eternally. Amen. Amen. Nearly every political system in this world promises a mountaintop experience. The time of everybody is going to be prosperous and have the best of what this short world has to offer. But the Kingdom of God is not so. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have Jesus saying some version of the following words before they tell us about Jesus' transfiguration on Mount Tabor. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "Our view for you, Lord, shall not happen to you." But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men." And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life is for my sake will find for, for what profit is it to a man that he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give to his gains for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now I read these words to you so that you can understand the context of Jesus revealing his divine glory to Peter, James, and John. It is in the midst of him talking about the cross, both his and ours. The glory that Peter, James, and John saw was but for a moment. The cross was the subject before, and the cross happened after. It is in the midst of the cross, only by the cross, where there is pain and shame and death, that the glory of Christ our Savior be. Now, this is not popular truth. Churches throughout America spend their time not on preaching the cross of Christ, and the cross, he who would follow him must bear for his sake. But they focus on teaching people how to avoid suffering in this life by means of moral. I heard a sermon yesterday on the radio where a preacher taught that if you avoid certain habits, you will escape the devil's web. Now, while it is true that we should avoid temptation and resist the devil, and give no opportunity to, up to the flesh to fulfill his sinful desires, this man ignored the fact that it is out of our own of hearts that evil thoughts come. With all the sins against the Ten Commandments, our impatience, our unbelief, despair, valley with God is near us in times of trial, is not merely the outward difficulties and challenges, it is the inward struggle of the flesh against against our faith. And that is why Jesus does not say, whoever would come after me must deny the world. No, he does not say that. He says, whoever would come after me must deny himself. And this is the opposite of what we by nature want. Deny ourselves take up a cruel instrument of torture willingly, and watch what our flesh desires crucify. That is the way. That is the way of glory, Jesus proves it. Jesus called Peter Satan when he tried to tell him that he would not suffer in life. He had in mind the things he meant and not the things of God. The things of men are the mountain topic top experiences of this life? Men despair when they do not have joy and glory on this earth. They long for something in life that will show them that they are living life as it ought to be lived. But they have their heart desires. You have those who call the mountains their church or nature, because they see the beauty of God and sense his divine power and their eternal God, this eternal God. And you have those who accomplish amazing feats of intelligence through science and philosophy, and rejoice in what they can think and accomplish. And you have those who develop immense amounts of self-control and so regulate their lives that, compared to others, they shine as examples of moral protection. However long they try to stay on top of their mountain, they must always come down. The euphoric feeling of seeing the mountains is hidden by a blizzard that blinds the eyes the intelligence that shone so brightly fades into dementia and finally death. The moral integrity is finally shown to be at the when the wages of sin are paid. Whoever desires to save his life, will lose it. Jesus did not try to save his life. In fact, when he was on the mountain, Moses and Elijah talking to him, Luke, in his account of this, tells us that they were talking about his departure, which in the Greek is his excellence. His excellence. They were talking about his death. They were talking about the cross. In the midst of the glory that was shown to Peter, James, and John, with Jesus' face as bright as the sun, his clothes, as Mark says, whiter than any longer it would make them, whereas Luke says, as lightning. And the great lawgiver Moses and the great prophet Elijah standing in that glory. What was the topic of conversation in that glory? What was in the midst of the glory? Word of the cross. (laughs) Moses preached the Christ of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, which foreshadowed Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Elijah preached Preached Christ against the prophets of Baal and saw fire come down from heaven and devour the sacrifice. All the law of the prophets pointed to Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is not the glory of number one. They don't realize that the misery of this world isn't a lack of money or a lack of pleasure. It really is an amazing thing, you know. The socialists started in the 19th century. Marx did his dissertation on Lucretius's on the nature of things he was an Epicurean. And Epicurus taught that if the gods exist, they don't care about us, and so we have to act as if we don't exist and find a natural cause for everything. And you must find your pleasure in your paradise on earth. He was a hedonist. Pleasure or happiness is the highest good. That's what he thought, And yet, it's a funny thing. All of us are richer than Solomon. All of us have more than the richest people in the 19th century. All of us. And yet we are not content. It isn't a lack of love. It isn't because we don't have the right to live it
1: isn't because,
0: it isn't because
1: It isn't because
0: what the world needs now is, is a love that we can actually give. It's because we can't give it. We don't have enough. The misery of this world is sin. Disobedience to God. Lawlessness, the lack of love. What shall the prophet man who gave the whole world lose his own soul? All the kingdoms of this earth cannot save your soul. He might be able to give you some mountaintop experiences. But they will not do a thing for your sake. Jesus said to his disciples, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And this has been interpreted in many ways. It's fine. But, uh, but those standing there were Peter, James, and John. They saw the Son of Man standing in the glory of the kingdom. They saw the glory that he had had from eternity and that was hidden when he was born. And lay in the manger that was hidden in his life as he walked among men doing good. Now shines and was the topic of conversation. He was coming to die. He was coming to face the sin of my heart and yours, and my life and yours. The cross was in the midst of the glory. Jesus denying himself, taking off his cross, and doing what the Father told him to do was in the midst of the glory. So don't look for the glory. Apart from the cross. glory was shown to Peter, James, and John so that they might teach us this very thing after Jesus' resurrection and not before. Jesus is humbling himself from obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. This is what the Lutherans call Jesus' state of humiliation. He's not using all of his divine power. He hasn't. But he does not, as the Calvinists teach, lay aside and hides from it. No, he brings his glory to the cross, but he hides it from the darkness. He hides it from the suffering. Because now is the time for suffering. The time for Christ is for burying our sin. The time is for our God in the flesh to face our death and defeat it. And when that time is fulfilled, there will be no sin to hold him in the grave. And his glory will shine in his resurrection, as it did in his transformation. We don't know how to handle the glory. It's just true. We need our mountaintop experiences. You know, Paul, Jesus had just preached this depressing sermon about death and suffering. Peter wanted it not to happen, and so Jesus gives them a foretaste of his glory. We need those moments of glory. We need the mountaintop. This happens to us in many ways. I remember the day of my confirmation and confessing what was given to me in my baptism. Rejoice. I remember the day of my wedding when God gave me a beautiful, pious woman. I remember the birth of all my children. I remember many times when God brought me to the top of the mountain and showed His power, His glory, His love for me. Life is not always on the mountain. There is sickness. There is being reminded that though I have sworn to renounce the devil in all his works in all his ways, yet I find him in my life. There are the battles. sickness, the death of loved ones, pain, anxieties, of the of And if we get glory all the time, do what our simple flesh does. It does exactly what Israel did. After they defeated the Canaanites, within a generation, they think, we, we got this for ourselves. We earned this glory. We earned this. We deserve this. So the pride raises itself up. And Jesus knows it. And so he does not let us stay in the glory. He lets us feel the cross. Peter didn't know what he was talking about. Mark said, because he was afraid. That's what Mark says, he was afraid. He says, they were just overjoyed at seeing this, and he was afraid he didn't want to leave. He saw Moses and Elijah starting to leave while they were talking with Jesus, and so he interrupts it and he says, he says, Jesus, it's good for us to be here, teacher. Let me build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. He wanted the glory to stay, I leave this. This is perfect. Now I know. I see the glory. I see that Jesus being the Messiah means he is shining with all the brightness of his divinity, which he has had with the Father for all eternity. I don't want to go back down that hill. I want to stay. I see Moses and Elijah. They recognize him. Somehow I see the greatest prophets of old talking with Jesus. But he interrupted their conversation. He interrupted the word of the cross. And so God interrupts it. bright cloud overshadows shadows, You'll remember in the Old Testament, God led his people to Israel by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And you'll remember the dedication of the tabernacle and also the dedication of the temple in Solomon's Day that glory of the Lord and a cloud filled the temple, a bright cloud, so that the priests weren't able to go in and minister there. And Solomon, upon seeing this, said, God has surely said, I will dwell in the thick darkness. And the thick darkness, this bright darkness, that made them unable to see anything, terrifies them. And they fall the ground, but they hear from this cloud, from this brightness, which they knew, they knew being Israelites what that meant. It meant that God Almighty was present. And they hear a very short sermon. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen. The Bible says no one can see my face and live. But you hear I'd like you to taking into consideration where God the Father gets this sermon from. This is my beloved son. This is from Psalm 2. The Lord said to me, I will declare the decree: You are my son. Today I have begotten. He takes it right from Psalm 2. The promise of sending his son into the world. He takes it from the Bible. David's psalm. In whom I am well pleased. Now we have this all over. My, my servant, my elect, whom I soul the lights. Later on in that same chapter of Isaiah, 42, he says, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. What did Jesus do? He exalted the law and made it honorable. Not only by teaching its true intent, not just outward things, but the inward love and trust of the heart, but by fulfilling every jot and tail of love. He showed it was true. God's book pleases And Finally, listen to This is from Deuteronomy 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and with my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks to my name, I will require him. Listen to me. God uses scripture to preach a sermon about Christ. He points them back to the Bible. And they are afraid of all the ground sitting there. The glory is gone. The mountaintop experience has become terrifying. And Jesus comes, just as he touched the leper, as we learned last time. So he touches them. And he says, do not be afraid. And they look up, and they saw no one. Jesus only. We saw the one whom God loved. We saw the one in whom he was well pleased. We saw the one they needed to listen to. It's hard to see him sometimes, is not it? In the valleys. He's like. Get up. We want Christians. It's a good. Practice, I think, to wake up in the morning and say the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Say the creed, and say the Lord's Prayer, read some scripture. Think about God's works and end your life. But even when you do that, you go off and you get busy. You've all sorts of things to do. And you have people to love. And you have sin to avoid. It has distracted you, it you. And in the midst of it all, it's hard to see Jesus. To see Jesus only. Instead of our eyes, we see our bodies getting older, you young people probably don't I do. Becky and I feel it. We see people die. We see people wander away from faith. We see our own hearts doubting God's mercy in times of temptation and trial. We are distracted from Jesus. And that is why God lays crosses upon us. That is why He says, Whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Him. He lays crosses on us so that we look away from ourselves and our own strength and our own understanding and see Jesus. He says, My beloved Son, the Son I love. How does Jesus, how does God the Father love His Son? He gives Him on the cross. He gives Him the cross. Because the Son was willing to bear Him. How does God love His Son? Does He take the cup from Him in the garden of His Son? How does God love His Son? He loves His Son by giving Him suffering and death that takes our sins away. He loves His Son by giving His Son what redeems you. As it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. What is the joy that was set before Him in the midst of his cross? It was you. It was having you. It was being able to comfort you when you have the cross upon you when you must suffer. When you are tempted to say, I am like God, knowing good and evil. When God lays on you suffering. You don't know why. You think it's all because some sin. And so you try to rid yourself of your sin. You see more and more of your weakness. You see more and more of the devil's power. Of the world's pride. when he lays that cross on you so that you know whom he He loves the one on whom he lays the cross. He loves you. He loves you. The cross is not a reason to despair. It is a reason to turn to Christ and listen to him. You say, no, God is not pleased with me. I have seen my life. i tried to be Christian. I talked to a man this past week in Alabama. He confessed that he had not lived a Christian life. He wanted to make his life better. Did I, at that moment when he was contrite and sorry for his sins, did I tell him, let me give you some advice on how to live? No, I did not. I said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sins. I said, Jesus died for your sin, and he forgives you. That is what he needed to hear. He needed to know who whom he was pleased. How do you know that God is pleased with you? Because the cross that He lays on you drives you to the cross for your sin. For Jesus pleased the Father by doing His will. Listen to Him. Don't listen to the world, don't listen to the devil, don't listen to your heart. Listen to Him. That is how you find Christ. That is how you find glory. Listen to Him on the cross. Peter wanted to build tabernacles, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord. The tabernacle is Christ, the temple is Christ. Listen to what Jesus says on this cross. His first words are, Father, forgive them, for they not know not what they're to, they do. So you find beneath your cross Jesus saying that to you. Father, forgive them, them. You don't even know what you're doing half the time. And God forgives you because of Christ. To the thief on the cross, who had lived his whole life in rebellion against God, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Amen, I say to you, for today you will be with me in paradise. As he is dying on the cross, which had been a just cross, but when he came to faith in Christ, it is just like the cross that we all must bear. Jesus comforted him in the midst of that suffering, and gave him the promise of eternal life. To his mother, pierced by that sword, sitting in the side that pierced her heart, weeping beneath the cross, he provides her and says, Woman, behold, thy son. He gives someone to her who loves her, just as he brings you into his church, and you find people who love you. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he is beneath the law that condemns you and tells you when you are underneath the cross that God has forsaken you. But if God forsook his son in your place, then it is impossible for him to forsake you. As Isaiah says, Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me. Can a woman forget? God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? I tell you, they may forget, but I will never forget. I have graven you in the palms of my hands. And so your cross brings you to the cross of Christ to hear Him. Listen to Him. You are not forsaken, you have Christ. He says, I thirst. When you are thirsty and hungry, your flesh hungers and thirsts for evil things. You think that if, if God is left when I don't have earthly good or health, happiness that the world does. Oh Jesus knows that the thirst that he has, that the thirst that he has is for your salvation. And when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are you, for you will be satisfied. The cross gives you that thirst. God satisfies He says it is finished so when you are beneath the cross and you say how do i get out of this i have so much to do maybe if i change this or that in my life maybe if i do this or that then it'll be finished when will it ever be done how long O lord how long and you hear jesus speaking to you from his cross it is finished your sin is paid for for you god is well pleased Listen." to him finally he says father into your hands i commit my spirit Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Everything that he has, after he has seemed to be forsaken by God, and suffered so much, he still trusts in God. He commits his spirit to God. So you also, in every suffering of your life, every trial that God gives you, in the valley, remember that God accepts your spirit. He accepts everything that you are because of Christ. God will lead us to great moments of joy in our short lives. And he will also lead us to moments of sorrow. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes we should never doubt him, we should listen. We don't need to build some tents to stay in the moment of the Lord. We just need to listen to Jesus and we will see. This is what St. Peter says, which we read in the epistle lesson. He says, we saw him. We heard his glory. We heard the voice born from the majestic glory. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And he said, said, you have the prophetic word, the Bible, the scriptures, confirmed, more sure, because Jesus has confirmed it. He has fulfilled it. To which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And I have taught this to many of you. What is the light? It is the Bible. It is the scriptures. It is the words of Jesus. Listen to him. In that valley of the shadow of death, how will you fear no evil unless you know he is with you, and he is with you always? And to the end of the age when he speaks his word to you, when you hear him, and you believe him, and you trust in him, and he could never lie to you. That's why the devil goes after the scriptures so much. They say just ridiculous things like it's about the Bible, it's been translated so many times, or it's this or that. No, well, it's not true. As my old professor used to say, poppycock. It's absurd. Christ will fill the scriptures. They are reliable. And that is the light. So if you see that dark place of your heart, and you're beneath that cross, remember that the glory shone from Christ on that mountain, and only a little while later, the, the sun was turned to darkness, and Jesus suffered on the cross. Where was the light? It was in It was in It never disappeared. The glory of God, the fullness of God is in that flesh, suffering, dying, overcoming sin, and finally rising to life again. Even after his resurrection, Jesus doesn't show himself to the, the people, the, the, the people on the road to Emmaus, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He doesn't show himself. They didn't recognize him. He's hidden from them. What does he do? Oh slow of heart! Oh foolish, oh fools, slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have spoken about Christ. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them everything concerning him. He showed them who he was in the Bible. In the scriptures. Read it, listen, and you will find when earthly help is unavailable when your friends and your family can't give you the words you think you need or the help you think you need, and you kneel down, pray to God, open up your Bible, read it, say, "Dear God, show me this glory, take me out of this valley." You will find Jesus saying to you, "My grace." It's enough for you. My power is made of perfect in weakness. You will find the peace of God that surpasses your understanding, removing your anxiety, and showing you ahead of all everything, the way lit clearly for you. By the word of God, which is a lamp to your feet, and showing you the glory of Christ's resurrection, which will soon be ours. This will soon be yours. Because he has said, Ask and shall be given. He has said, Surely I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. He has said, Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will find it. He said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Listen to me. Amen. Amen.